The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, Episode 107. A sequel to the Jean-Claude Van Damme classic, Time Cop. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for long, so let the adventure begin now. There's never enough time. Time for what? To listen to a podcast. Then you never want to miss an opportunity. Are you busy? I'm waiting for Sequel Quest to start. If I were those guys, I wouldn't keep you waiting. I'll tell you what, if I put in my earbuds and I don't hear Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy pitching prequel sequels and reboots, I'll start listening to your show. Hey now! Don't touch that dial! Welcome to Sequel Quest! Yes, today we have our own team of Podcast Enforcement Commission, or PEC, agents ready to save the day from boredom. First, it's the man who never lets the same matter occupy the same space. <laughs> it's Jeff. That is me. And currently rollerblading through the mall, snatching old ladies' purses, then promptly returning them, it's Jeremy. Oh my goodness. And reminding you to never interrupt me when I'm talking to myself, <laughs> it's Adam. And returning to the program, a sequel quest veteran from the iRead Movies, Cult Film Club, Nerd Lunch, and Hellbent for Letterboxd podcast, set up to record in his kitchen while doing the splits between two countertops, it's Paxton Holly. Hey guys, how are you? Thanks for having me back on. Uh, we are very excited here. You know, we had been discussing for months with Pax, how do we get you back on the show? <laughs> there were many ideas thrown out. We're going to do Young Guns, are we going to do Blade? <laughs> Pax is throwing white men can't jump at us. I don't know what we would have done with that. I was throwing everything against the wall to see what was going to stick. But we fell on Time Cop. Really seemed like it was up our alley. And, you know, for those of you who haven't seen Time Cop in a while, Jeremy, why don't you tell them what it's all about? All right. Time Cop is the 1994 not-so-classic starring Jean-Claude Van Damme, Mia Sarah, Ron Silver, and Gloria Rubin, directed by Peter Himes. When mankind perfects time travel, the government establishes the Time Enforcement Commission to thwart criminal attempts to alter the timeline. Police officer Max Walker, Jean-Claude Van Damme, is recruited by TEC Commander Matuzak, but soon finds his investigation of Senator McComb being thwarted by elements within his own government. When Walker's wife, Melissa, is attacked and murdered, he must travel across time to rescue her and save the future. This is our first Jean-Claude Van Damme film. Where do we all fall in terms of our Jean-Claude Van Damme fandom and uh, experience with his filmography? So Pax, you set us on this path. How about you? As far as JCVD, I like at the peak of his career in the 80s, you know, this run, like uh, Time Cop's one of my favorites. I love Blood Sports. I like Double Impact and stuff like that. So I am a big fan of him in this era. I haven't really picked up on him in the newer era where he's JCVD, you know, and does some of these newer movies. But uh, back in this time, Time Cop era, I'm a huge fan of him. I do love the idea that Van Damme really loves, like, two of him, right? <laughs> you get two Van Damme in this one, you get Double impact or whatever how about for you jeff just to clarify did someone just say they loved jean-claude van damme <laughs> that was uh, in this era yeah okay in the, okay in the mid 90s era yeah <laughs> oh gosh jean-claude van damme for me i feel like i loved Bloodsport. And I loved, to a lesser extent, Kickboxer. Because he is a great martial artist, and his accent is okay as long as he's not trying to play someone who doesn't have an accent. Beyond that, like, like for me, what sums up my experience with Jean-Claude Van Damme is hearing that he was offered the role. I think he even tried on the suit for being the Predator in Predator, and then turned it down by saying, quote, 
I'm Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so I, I think that's interesting, yeah, because he's kind of been involved even before he was a, a bigger marquee name. I mean, he was in Breaking. You know, he's in the background dancing it up. You know, he's having a good old time, it seems. Or a show that PAX has covered on Cult Film Club, No Retreat, No Surrender, right? Yep, that was uh, probably the first time I think I ever saw him. Playing uh, a wannabe Ivan Drago, basically. <laughs> Yeah, and I think his name was Ivan, actually. Yeah. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> but see, like, for me, I had never even seen Time Cop before buying the DVD in preparation for this show, because <laughs> my Jean-Claude Van Damme experience has been limited to Bloodsport and Street Fighter. Well, you've seen Bloodsport. That's yeah. impressive. Like, all the way through? Well, this is the thing. So, before ever even seeing Bloodsport, my freshman year of high school, I had a friend named Yashar Rad. Which, come on, man. Rad. I feel like he should have had his own movie. (laughs) But he was super into martial arts, and on a field trip, we were on a bus ride, and he recited the entire film to me. And he played all the characters, and he's narrating the action, and he just, he loved that movie so much. And so I was like, well, I gotta check it out then, you know? And it it would play on TV (laughs) from time to time as well, but I rented it. You know, because you got to see that shin bone just pop out of that one guy, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But really, for me, like, I always paid attention to Van Damme's movie titles because, you know, stuff like Cyborg or Lionheart or Universal Soldier, (laughs) you know. But they just weren't in my wheelhouse. So the breakthrough Van Damme film for me was Street Fighter, (laughs) which I saw in theaters. And, of course, I was very disappointed at the time. You know, lines like, I'm the Repo Man. And you're out of business. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, but the fact that he had been in these underground fighting tournament films that inspired Street Fighter, and then they made this one about a military force taking down a dictator, it was just, that was nonsense. So I didn't think so highly of him. But that being said, I was familiar with the work of the director of this film, Peter Hyams who his film that he made just before Time Cop in 1992 was the John Ritter comedy Stay Tuned, which was always a favorite of mine. Yeah. (laughs) And actually it has a tie, one of several that we'll discuss in this episode to our last episode, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where we pitched a sequel to that movie in that Jeffrey Jones is the villain in Stay Tuned. But this is something that I'm curious about as well then. So with Time Cop itself, what do you guys remember? Is it something you saw in theaters? Is it something that you were really involved in, Pax? How about you? Yeah, I have a distinct memory of going to the theater to see it. My friend Steve and I were big Jean-Claude Van Damme fans around this time, So, th- and this was at his height. So uh, time travel, Jean-Claude Van Damme, I was 100% going to be in the theater for this. Nice. Jeremy, how about you? You got a whole stack of Jean-Claude Van Damme films in your house? No. <laughs> uh, very basically, no. Time Cop, I have seen it multiple times. Can't tell you when I saw it last, though. I did see that it's available on Amazon Prime, so I might watch it. I've seen some of his other random fighting movies, but nothing of his in like the last 20 years. I don't know that there's much of that body of work, so... <laughs> Well, he keeps coming back with Universal Soldier movies, because there's like five or six of them. Jeff, do you remember renting it? Where did you catch it? I feel like this was a big movie when it came out, because yeah, you're right. Like This was Van Damme's peak, and it was kind of catapulting right on the sci-fi bandwagon. I feel like this was right around that same era of Demolition Man and all of those kind of sci-fi futuristic ones. And that was the one thing like about Jean-Claude, is that he was something different. Like Arnold and Sly, and and like they couldn't do the martial arts that he could do. And even Steven Seagal was Steven Seagal. So, you know, it was something unique to see Jean-Claude in a movie. So I I didn't see it in the theaters. Like, it wasn't something that would grab me that much. So I'm pretty sure I saw it on, like, an HBO free preview weekend or something like that. And I I remember I was like, huh, that was better than I expected. Not spectacular. Like, I don't have it in my mind as that's one of my favorite movies or greatest movies. But of the Jean-Claude's, it's like, that was impressive. (laughs) As Jean-Claude's go, it wasn't too bad. Well, again, because you, you've got some real stinkers in there, so... Oh, yeah, you do. You know, obviously, I mentioned I had not seen it till just now. So let me ask you this, then, uh, of the Jean-Claude's, let's just say, what is what is absolutely the worst? I mean, if of the ones you've taken the time to see, what were you most disappointed? 
disappointed in where Time Cop you know, rises to be the cream. I mean, for me, like I went and saw a double team in the theater and it was <laughs> garbage. Uh, <laughs> it was not good. We were all high on Rodman at the time. <laughs> yes. It was were so we? <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to not say Street Fighter because it was so bad. But like Universal Soldier, just because I think he made three, four, five of them. However many he made, it was far too many. And I think the tough part was, like, in, in a movie like that, granted, I thought Dolph Lundgren was worse than he was, but it was the fact that I think Jean-Claude saw himself, because he is, like, he's a pretty good-looking guy, and so I think he sees himself as a romantic lead. That's always rough when you've got Dolph Lundgren, who's this stony face one, and the lovable one is Jean-Claude. And, like, oh... <laughs> Well, of course, I love his cameo in Last Action Hero at the premiere of Jack Slater. You know, <laughs> That's right. I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, I, apparently, they filmed a whole bunch, and he's like one of the few, like him and MC Hammer survived, you know. And, oh, and uh, Jim Belushi. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, like the one that disappoints me, and I think it's just because it's like it feels so similar, but it just doesn't have the excitement is Kickboxer. Because to me, it's just kind of, I'm avenging my brother's death or, or my brother's crippling, whatever, it was, you know, whatever it was in that. It just, it never quite hit me the same way as the other ones do. So, and I actually have a few to catch up on that I picked up on VHS recently. So I'll finally see Cyborg and what became of Masters of the Universe Part 2 and how they morphed <laughs> yeah. it into that, you know. So, but the other thing I think is worth mentioning is probably most people don't realize this, but Time Cop is based on a segment of an anthology comic book series called Dark Horse Presents, mm -hmm. uh, which debuted a lot of really cool comics properties. But Dark Horse was also the publisher of stories like The Mask and Barbed Wire and even Hellboy. So those are there were a lot of those properties that got made into movies from them, you know. So this was among them, but maybe lesser known. But Pax, you recently covered Time Cop uh, on your podcast, I Read Movies, so the actual novelization... Uh, and highly recommended everybody who loves a good deleted scene or an alternate take on the stories of your favorite films go find i read movies it's a great listen but was there a particular bit of information for you that you found really interesting on this particular read um this one it, it was a good it was actually a really good novelization it didn't have a ton of stuff but it it had enough little bits to fill out the world a little bit it had a little bit more explanation on time travel it had a segment where like it, it was explaining that there was more people that had time machines so like uh like other countries had them and but america was the only one policing the time stream i mean that, it makes mention of like iranian uh time hit squads there are other possible black ops military and installations that have you know off the grid time vehicles as well it doesn't really go into it any further it's just kind of mentioned here and there but there's a lot of that stuff and it, and it explains a little bit more of the mechanics of time travel in the novelization that if you listen to the show i mentioned like how they explain it there's a lot of inconsistencies and just kind of how you look at time travel and how they look at time travel and how it could work within that world wait so is it more or less confusing than endgame <laughs> uh, it's actually pretty confusing because the way that time travel is handled in time cop it's really more a, a matter of perspective like and they they tell you you can't travel to the future which depending on how you look at it i mean time agents travel back to their own time from the past that's traveling to the future and uh like i mean if they take someone if they travel back to the past stop something and then take someone from the past into the future they're traveling into the future so i mean there is technically traveling into the future so it's kind of that stuff that it mentions but it doesn't mention and then it kind of for me just built out a lot of extra questions i had about what was going on although i think when you get down to it the rule about time cop is you don't try to make sense of the time travel elements <laughs> of the story yes yeah or your true. brain will melt like a past and future self making contact you know it's just it's not gonna be pretty <laughs> now i think also you know this movie we mentioned was a hit i mean it's still van damme's most profitable film i believe you know and, and with good reason he doesn't have to do too much himself in this movie. He's either being gloomy or he's being charming. <laughs> and I think one of those is his default. You know, he's, he's always a little charming. He's always a little naked. There's uh we definitely yeah, get our, yeah, our Van Damme buns in this film and uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, shirtless and uh, everything else. So <laughs> I I feel like that's that's like always the desire. It's like this uh, I think this uh this scene I could do without a shirt, huh? 
Okay. <laughs> but for you guys, like, Pax, you mentioned the, the time travel element of it. What we always look for in time travel movie is the vehicle or the method of time travel, right? So in this case, how would you describe that particular vehicle and its mechanics? Uh, how would I describe it? Nonsensical. Like, it yes. makes literally <laughs> no sense how the time vehicle works. I have so many problems with how this thing works. Like, half of it I like. I love the supercomputers figuring out what point in time and where, like, in the orbital positioning of the Earth in time and stuff like that. I like that. It's the actual physical vehicle and how that vehicle, the mechanics of that vehicle works. I have so many problems with that. It's, it's <laughs> like, it doesn't ruin the movie for me, but I'm just like, every time I watch it, I'm like, I don't know why this is the way it works because it makes no sense I mean, the most obvious one to me is the fact that they travel in a vehicle but when they get to the place they're supposed to go they're just there yeah, right, right and when they come back they're back in the vehicle and, right uh-huh. <laughs> i know they stick the brick wall at the end yeah yeah you got a big concrete wall but the, the question i have then too is why is it that the bad guys all just seem to walk in casually you know and push through the time barrier whatever you want to call it but all the the tec agents are always like running or they're always like seem like they just got pushed you know from behind oh well yeah because then yeah there are a couple of times that van damme just kind of casually walks in like when he's in the 20s but, but then when he goes back with fielding it's like they drop out of the sky into the water i guess if you're careful you can place yourself exactly where you want to place yourself but if not then you're going to fall into like a mountain or something <laughs> yeah now jeff how do you feel about the dramatic turn here for van damme in terms of mourning a dead spouse he's really trying to bring that emotion are you pulled in no no. Yeah. No. I mean, especially because what was this, 94? And I probably saw it when I was 16 or so. It's almost that circumstances are sufficient where you're like, all right, you get it. Does he seem like a person who's in touch with his emotions? No. Someone that is like devastated that he's relaying it to the audience? No. But. You know, uh, we get it, I think, you know. Jeremy, are you a fan of this uh, bad guy, Macomb? Do you like an evil politician in your movies? Well, they're kind of easy to rip off of. I mean, everybody imagines their politicians are evil and nefarious. (laughs) Sometimes we're proven right. But do you like his plot? Can you explain his plot? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of. Well, isn't it basically that... He's just going to make himself wealthy because his campaign is kind of running out of money in the present day. So if they change things in the past, the depression never happens. His family is in line to make a lot of money. Familial money is handed down, handed down. And he most likely is a man of power and wealth and influence. And he likes to eat nuts at the back of his car. Right. (laughs) Slam people's faces (laughs) into the side of the car. I think we need to bring that up, too. If we're going to talk about time travel or futuristic stuff that doesn't make sense, it's like all the production cost and design went into those cars, those (laughs) wannabe Blade Runner vehicles with no windshield. You just go into this box and it takes you where you need to go. But why did automotive technology advance so far and architecture and everything else (laughs) in the world seems to be exactly the same? Like there's like a comb involved in that? (laughs) Who knows? He's got his fingers in everything. (laughs) And that's the thing that I thought was kind of interesting, that they did set the beginning in the present day, 94, and then they sent the next one. It was 10 years later, wasn't it? 2004? Yeah, 2004. You guys had some ambitious goals for 10 years into the future. (laughs) Well, Kennedy wanted everybody to get to space by the end of the decade, so I guess set a goal for the American people. They'll make it happen. Did we, though? (laughs) (laughs) I also like that futuristic guns just have a red light on them you just put a red light on it it's futuristic now yeah. <laughs> yeah. so the other character this you you mentioned pax is uh, sarah fielding you know this agent that's supposed mm-hmm. to come in i find her very fascinating just in the idea that she does come in as oh i'm, I'm your new partner and i'm keeping an eye on you and then she turns on him but then she regrets it and he forgives her and then she becomes his partner again but then she gets killed you know it's just like <laughs> yeah. there's so much 
back and forth with the characters, but I think it's very entertaining because of that. It is, and his final little, at the end, when he mentions the boyfriend that she told him about in the previous life, and it's just like, that's funny to us, but it's kind of creepy within the movie. <laughs> so yes. that always kind of was weird. I, I love her, and I like everything that, but I don't like the button-up at the end when he tells her about the boyfriend that's kind of weird. Yeah, it's odd that everybody seems to just, again, go with his charisma when he comes back, and time has changed, like Matusak, his best buddy and boss, doesn't remember him, but mm-hmm. he, he just seems to go along with everything he's saying. He's like, well, I'm, I'm TC, and, you know, drops the line about his wife's goulash eventually, but it's just like, huh, okay. And Pax, you brought this up on your podcast, which is, shouldn't these time cops have to check in? So, because, like, not if you're, ch- you are changing the time stream on some level, even though you're trying to keep it safe. So there's going to be a lot of uh, things like, oh, yeah, you didn't leave from here at this time. It's like, oh, <laughs> we have no <laughs> records. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And like the, the way the book explains stuff, I was like, well, there's got to be this TEC goes into the future. So, you know, things that are happening in our present have got to be you know, like to us they're just present stuff but to the future tec someone's manipulating so they got to come back like and i was speculating like could they like they have to check in you know it's like hey i'm an agent i'm here working working a case they should have touched on that like coming from the future and and having to check into the current time period because you're working a case yes last episode we were talking about ferris bueller's day off obviously mia sarah plays his wife in this uh, mm. Just as charming as ever, we would say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I like her in this quite a bit. Is this like really, I mean, after this, does she have any more big roles that you recall? <laughs> <laughs> not really. After this, not really. It's kind of like, you know, you got Legend, you got Ferris Bueller, this, you know, she got a solid three. But yeah, I, I do agree that she is, you know, at least a welcome presence. I mean, she's just fun to have around. She, you know, she's maybe no Penelope Ann Miller. I feel like you could have dropped her in just as easily if we were doing alternate casting for Time Cop. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not not so much? No. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Penelope has a little bit more, not edge, more whack. Weird. I love Penelope Ann Miller, but this would be a very different movie with her. I think I'm just thinking like kindergarten cop, time cop. You put her in any of the cop movies, it'll work. Or not. <laughs> Do you guys have a favorite sequence in the film? Like where you say, you know what? This is where it's firing on all cylinders. I can see why this was a hit of its time. Jeff? Because it was in every single trailer. You knew the splits while wearing his underwear while he's in the kitchen was coming. It, it felt like one of those moments of like needlessly showing off his physicality. For me, though, and we kind of talked about it already, Ron Silver, like... Oh, man. Going back to Street Fighter, the fact that Raul Julia just milks every scene that he's in, and that's how I feel about Ron Silver. Just like every line is just dripping with over-the-top evil, and I love it. He makes the movie for me. Do you guys know behind the scenes? I'm try- I still try to figure out, because he does look different past Macomb and present Macomb. So did they have just a lookalike or, or, or is he just, they just managed to do his beard and his hair just a little differently? Cause I mean, it's, it seems really odd to me that he could change that much. And there was no CG de-aging, you know, at this time, anybody have an explanation for that? I, I think they used a mixture of body doubles and they filmed them at different times and added makeup and stuff like that. And uh, just kind of the way they cut it together, they did a pretty good job getting it all in there. They had to give Van Damme time to grow out his mullet. So, yeah, yes. <laughs> How about you, Pax? You you're our martial arts guru on the show tonight. So, what is do you enjoy those moments, or is there another element that excites you? Uh, I mean, there, there's a lot of good action in here, and there's some good sci-fi, and I, I, I like what they're doing. One of, one of my favorite scenes is when he goes back to the. 20s and goes back to the depression and uh he goes to get his former partner and tries to get him down you see him walking out of the ripple in time which is one of my favorite reveals ultimately that guy jumps out the window and then uh, max goes after him and like floats down to him and grabs him and then uh they they travel back into the future i think that's a really great set piece i really it's a really great little action scene and i liked it quite a bit the dummy of atwood hitting the top of that car i mean (laughs) that that dummy like its head flies back but now for me the action moment maybe for the wrong reason is just that in the hospital scene when he goes back to visit Sarah and they basically agree hey we'll be partners you'll testify all this stuff when the 
hospital cops <laughs> start chasing him <laughs> and he has to get away his only thought is i'm gonna jump out this window he hasn't even looked out the window he literally just sees a window and he jumps <laughs> luckily for him there's this whole like you know awning type thing i'm not even sure what function it has you know when he lands on it it breaks he kind of swings on it a little bit you know but it's just like that was a real chance you were taking there max what are you van, doing? van damme never looks he just jumps <laughs> He knows he can roll with anything. He's ready yeah, to go. He, know, he knows. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, ultimately, I think if you wrap it up, there's, like Jeff mentioned, the basic structure is good enough. The supporting cast is nice. A villain who's, you know, sufficiently smarmy. Now, this <laughs> film did actually spawn, three years later, a short-lived primetime television series, also called Time Cop. Nobody really of note, except for me seeing kurt fuller from wade's world and ghostbusters 2 and no holds wow. barred he always plays that jerky guy it's kind of wormy so he was on that show makes me want to go back because i think it only lasted like eight or nine episodes it was not a a hit by any means and i kind of understand i mean this was after shows like quantum leap or even time tracks if you remember that show oh, yeah deep cut yeah exactly so i think at that time maybe we were kind of in a stasis period for time travel it's like oh let's just keep it where it is we'll come back around but also you know tonight as we're getting ready to pitch our sequels we're not necessarily breaking new ground because there was a direct to video sequel time cop 2 oh, no. the right. berlin decision <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Starring Jason Scott Lee of Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, and Jungle Book fame. Mm -hmm. So, anybody, do you know the plot of this one, Pax? No, can you give us that one? <laughs> yeah, give, give them the plot. Well, the, there is a plot where someone is actually, you know, the old time travel go-to, even mentioned at the opening of this original film, somebody's going to go back in time to kill Adolf Hitler, and the TEC has to stop that. So, <laughs> so there it is, oh. the dilemma. Do you kill Hitler? Do you have a <laughs> chance? Well, and, and IMDb mentions that in 95, there was a little-known Super Nintendo video game, Time Cop, where the player is a time cop going after the inventor of time travel. Oh. So there are other opportunities Wait, for that... stories sounds complicated and weird right right it says over the course of 15 time limited levels set in various eras to stop him tampering with the past and the future similar to beat em up games but had a few shooter sections so there you go look for it online apparently so hopefully if any of us uh, included that in our pitch we can yep. quickly edit it out in the in the canon that we're dealing with <laughs> nope. yeah. it's there already <laughs> but i i think we're ready to find out really where we're gonna take this what era does the next adventure take place in so pax why don't you kick us off my my initial reaction was to do something like if you've seen the trailer for gemini man so it's like old versus young versions of yourself and i thought i want max old retired jcvd now to go back and confront himself and then i was like oh that'd be awesome and i'm like well that was what they did in time cop so I don't need old Max and young Max again. They, they just did that. So uh, then I was going to do something with, I mentioned on I Read Movies, there's some things in there that I, I think could work into a sequel. I could never figure out something that worked for me. So what I did was, uh, and I think I do this every time I'm, I'm with you guys, Netflix series. That's what kind of I'm envisioning here. And this is how it goes. I kind of mapped out uh, the beginning of the show and, and, and I'll explain the crux to you. But it starts off with uh, kind of a dream sequence and you see essentially the, uh, the launching of a time vehicle you see the wedge-shaped vehicle traveling forward and then it fades to black and it goes current date 1994 woman wakes up um she had the dream she's with her husband they go downstairs they meet a 12 year old kid they have a little discussion at the table they go to work on her way to work uh, the woman thinks she sees a man sees glimpses of him as she's driving to work um it's the same man several places around town bus stop behind a group of people but every time she tries to get a good look he's gone so she meets her husband for lunch later on in the day she's discussing her visions with him and uh he's concerned he wants her to go get help he thinks she's showing PTSD symptoms. Uh, we find out that the woman is former military and he wants her to go see someone. And she's like, I'll be fine. And after lunch, going back to work and across the street, she glimpses the man she saw before again, but it was just a glimpse. So um, go back home. She's uh, in the garage working out, uh, hitting a heavy bag. Um, she starts getting a 
a splitting headache and she's having these weird visions of futuristic cars and buildings and then they abruptly stop and uh, she goes to her workbench and pulls out a little a little device it looks like a little cell phone and she starts working on it it's clear she's had this object for a while and it's broken and she's been trying to fix it for a while she can't do it she kind of crisscrosses some wires hooks it up to a battery does a few things to it can't get it to work she gets frustrated and throws her stuff down her husband comes into the garage they talk a little bit and as they leave we pan down over to the toolbox again where she threw the remote and a soft red light turns on so we move up to the husband and the wife getting ready for bed she thinks she sees something out the window as she's getting in bed it's like maybe like a flashlight turning off she looks she doesn't see anything and all of a sudden she turns around and sees a ripple in the air and a guy walks out of this ripple in midair and uh he the guy walks out uh he's in this weird uniform and he says like there you are get down and he jumps on her and puts her to the ground just as like the room explodes into what is futuristic machine gun fire like like you mentioned the red light guns are just going all over the place and she recognizes it she sort of recognizes it immediately, but she's like, what's going on? And the guy that came through the ripples, like, you don't recognize me? And it's like, well, of course you don't. My name is Max. We're friends. I'm here to get you out of here. You got to come with me. And she's like, why? What's going on? And he's like, uh, we don't have time for this. We have to go. And she's like, I'm not leaving. And he's like, I can explain it to you, but by the time I'm done, we'll be dead and we won't help anyone. So come with me and then I'll explain everything. And they go to a safe house. And here is kind of where we get the kind of the explanation and the, the thrust of, of what's going on. We find out uh, this is is Max, like current JCVD, and he's a senior agent with the TEC. He explains to her, you were my partner. Our current year is 2019. You found out something that you weren't supposed to find out, and you were brought it to me. You never told me what it was, but you told me it was big and something was going on. So I brought you back in time to hide you till we figured out what was going on and, and how we could figure out how to fix this. He took her back to a, to a safe house back in the past, and then he goes back to the future. And then somehow, like, they find out where she is. They raid her safe house. Max finds out almost too late, gets back just in time to get her out of there, but just barely. And then he gets her out just barely. And But then when they get back to the future, he's like, I, I've got another spot to take you. I'm going to take you. But then she takes the time vehicle and goes off on her own. And uh, Max loses her. He doesn't know where she is. This is where they start piecing together what happened uh, with her. Like she went back to the past. She gets lost. Max says, I can track you with your retrieval unit because ours are tethered together. But once you went back in time without me, it went dead. And I assumed you destroyed. So I couldn't find you until that retrieval unit came back on. And then so he's talking with her and her memories are starting to come back as they're talking. She's like, she picked 1994 to go back to. And that's what she went to. And uh, Max was like, well, I don't know how you picked that one, but uh, that's a good place to go because time travel was just getting invented. And I had some events that happened with a younger me at that point. So those time ripples were going to hide where you were. So wherever you went there, you would kind of be hidden. And that was a, that was a good place to pick. So come to find out he's got to get her to remember what it is that she discovered in the future of some conspiracy that's going on. And he's got to keep her away from this hit squad that's going through time. And her retrieval unit was the thing that turned on earlier. Um, now that it's on, they can track her wherever they're going. So they're constantly being followed and them like going back and forth in the future into the past, trying to figure out what it is that she found out and what's the conspiracy that she found out and how to stop it and get her installed into 2019. But also, I imagine there's going to be a, a ripple of she's married and she has a kid. Neither of those people, like he wasn't supposed to marry her and that kid was never supposed to exist. So that's going to be an issue with the Time Enforcement Commission that like they're not supposed to be there. That's They're not supposed to marry you. That girl's not supposed to exist. And so that's going to be a whole thing towards the end of the thing about how you broke all these rules. And I mean, and it's a whole bureaucracy thing that I think that's going to happen at the end after they figured out the conspiracy. So that's kind of what I was envisioning is like this time agent gets lost back in time and Max has got to go back and get her. But you start off like the first couple episodes not really even knowing what's going on and you just kind of thrust into it in the middle all right yeah those female protagonists very big right now very marketable <laughs> they're so hot right now <laughs> <laughs> all right jeff what do you got okay so i needed a better title for mine because time cop the next generation is a little too cheesy for me <laughs> yeah exactly Chew on so, the nose so i i, I did draw inspiration i don't know if any of you uh, were familiar with the show timeless that was on uh yeah, yes yeah. judy's favorites so i thought i'd go in that general direction so this one would take place 15 years later which would bring us into the present day 2019 and tec is now more of a research division where max's son he's actually one of the researchers that are working in the division and what they do is they use the time travel to actually travel to different spots in time as his 
historical research. And so they're supposed to travel incognito and to blend in. And they have the different rules about not interfering. And Max, still being on the police side, his division has mostly kind of turned into uh, monitoring everyone's procedures and making sure that they're... You know, almost like the group in uh, uh, Monsters, Inc. that are always trying to protect the world <laughs> from outside excursions. So that sort of a thing is what Max is doing. And the father and son don't really get along very well. Max believes that the research is just too dangerous, whereas the son thinks that Max's whole division is out of touch. But one day, mercenaries break into the headquarters and they capture Max's son's boss and this experimental remote time machine and then jump through or like jump into the car and through the portal, whatever, you know, travel back through time. Time. Trying to stop them, Max's son jumps in immediately afterwards, and then Max, trying to save him, he jumps in as well. And all of them are sent to April 1865. Max's son, being this, this researcher, recognizes that they're outside of Ford's theater, and April 1865 was the night that Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. So Max naturally wants to try and stop the president being assassinated, but uh, obviously, you know, his son says, well, no, we can't do that. That would change the future. And, yada, yada, yada. So the first part is they assume that those mercenaries traveled back to this time to change the past. So the first thing they do is they seek out John Wilkes Booth and they make sure that he can follow through. And so it is kind of heartbreaking, especially for Max. They have to essentially protect John Wilkes Booth so he can successfully assassinate Abraham Lincoln. They do... But then as soon as that happens, a writer shows up with the news that Secretary of State Seward was actually murdered. And then they figure out that was actually the plan all along. They weren't interested in Lincoln. They were trying to kill Seward. So now they get dragged back like they do back into present. But now the present is very different. Uh, now they notice that like all of the flags and the uniforms and stuff like that all say Republic of America. Uh, they kind of find out that there actually was a second civil war because the South was so beaten down because Seward wasn't there to, to kind of lead reconstruction. And so they, you know, of course, realizing, oh, this is not the way that it's supposed to be, but nobody else recognizes that. So they have to try and like convince everyone to let them travel back to try and fix everything. So they do. They travel back in time. Sure enough, there's the Mercs with the Max's son's boss. They stop them, but... Instead of being able to capture them, they then use their portable time majigger to jump off to another time. So then they have to go back, and then they find out now this time when they go back to the present, now it's back to one country again, but now they're noticing there's a little too much Nazi propaganda around for their taste. <laughs> Some would say Eddie is too much. Joe. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Not that everyone is Nazis, but everyone seems really okay with Nazis. They figure out that what happened was the second jump they went back and now Charles Lindbergh became president and then was not, didn't have an issue with the Nazis. Now they got to go back. And so it kind of creates this kind of like chase through time. And then we eventually find out that every time that they do change something, what ends up happening is this one guy, his name is Tolliver, he always ends up gaining power. Even every time that they fix things, he comes back and he's a little bit more powerful and a little bit more powerful. So then the big climax of the movie, they finally catch up to them and they have the big face-off and they find out that Tolliver is indeed Max's son's boss. He's actually been running this entire division working all along to sculpt history to get himself power into this new future. So they have to stop him. And then the credits or whatever is Max and Son, now best buds, traveling through time, kind of putting right everything that Tolliver put wrong. Ah, uh, time, Son. There's your... <laughs> Very nice, Jeff. We should be thankful Lindbergh was not president, apparently. <laughs> All right, well, for me, I'll jump in here. Yeah, this is my first time watching the film, but there was a mystery in this movie. Just some throwaway lines that I'm sure were never meant to be answered. But that's exactly what I like to get deep into. So when Fielding is joining Max and they're getting ready to go back in time together, as they're walking to the hangar area where the track is and the time pod, there's these people they say 
she looks like the Volmers. She looks like a Volmer twin. And so, like, people keep saying that. She's like, who are the Volmer twins? And he points her to these two red splotches on the wall at the end of the track. And uh, before the show, I even uh, reached out to Pax. I'm like, did the novelization say anything about that? And sadly, we got no explanation about the Volmers. So, I give you Time Cop 3 Double Time. Taking place in 2003, just one year before the events of the first film, we meet Cindy and Samantha Vollmer, twin sisters, played by Gloria Rubin, who played Serafield, who have just finished at the Time Enforcement Commission Academy. Cindy is the outspoken cocksure twin who is anxious to take on the big cases, while Samantha is a bespectacled brainiac who's working on the monitoring side of the time travel policing agency, seeking out anomalies in the time stream. Cindy gets on the wrong side of a veteran agent named Weston when the TEC computers select her as the ideal match for a mission to ensnare the rogue assistant of the time travel technology inventor who Weston has been doggedly tracking down for seven years. But this time felon named Heyman has a thing for pretty ladies, so Weston and Cindy are reluctantly paired up as a team to take him down. What stands out about this time anomaly is that Heyman has gone back just months in the past to attach himself to a recent successful and unrecovered heist fortune, which is his M.O., as it's believed that the crook may have taken his mentor's research one step further and developed tech that can see into the most likely outcome of the future. Meanwhile, socially awkward Samantha is fending off the advances of fellow monitoring nerd Rodney, a Scottish-born geek who thinks he is as smooth as Sean Connery. Samantha is completely turned off by his creepy attempts to bring the new girl out of her shell, in quotation marks, <laughs> by sending her Photoshop pictures of her head on the body of scantily clad models. Tracking Heyman to Belgium, where he has just completed masterminding a $100 million diamond heist from the Antwerp World Diamond Center in Belgium, Cindy and Weston get over their rivalry when Cindy saves Weston from a booby trap on the exterior of the criminal's hideout. Cindy is embarrassed about having to pose as a call girl, but is given access to Heyman's hideaway as per the plan, leaving a scarf stuck in the door to allow for her partner's entry. The sleazy Heyman immediately makes humiliating demands of Cindy, telling her to put on kinky handcuffs, and she plays along so as to not give up her cover. Heyman then reveals that he anticipated their plan, as Weston is killed by a remote control gun hidden inside a bronze statue of mythical Roman twins Romulus and Remus as he enters the room to make the arrest. Cindy attempts to subdue Heyman, but his ruthless bodyguard, Nina, played by Brigitte Nielsen, enters the scene and makes short work of Cindy. Not gonna beat Red Sonia. <laughs> the crook and his minion disappear into time by placing a time travel visor on Heyman with a linked gauntlet worn by Nina, and he taunts Cindy, stating that he's seen the future, and they won't meet again. Returning to TEC headquarters, Weston is pronounced dead, and Cindy is told that she was too green for the mission, being prevented from assignment on any future missions until she gains more experience. Instead, Cindy is forced into office work with Samantha and is itching to get some real action when Rodney hits on the new twin and realizes his mistake only when he's forced into straddling two file cabinets with a letter opener between his legs. Heyman, meanwhile, is continuing to evade the TC agents assigned to apprehend him by anticipating their moves with his future vision goggles and sending back agents in body bags. His activities begin to affect world governments, causing desperate nations to invade the unaffected countries. But TEC Director Matusek refuses Cindy's plea to let her go back to the moment of Weston's death to steal Heyman's future viewing visor, stating it would be too dangerous for her two selves to be in such close proximity. So as to not violate her boss's orders, Cindy empties out the TEC headquarters with an anonymous fake bomb scare, allowing a reluctant Samantha to travel back to the launch point for the original failed mission, where she distracts past Cindy by saying that the director pulled her out of the assignment at the last minute and causing her to run off and confront the boss. This allows Samantha to take past Cindy's place to travel with Weston to Haven's hideout where, now aware of his tricks, she can avoid them and snatch up his device for study of the TEC labs and prevent the effects of his meddling in time. Easier 
said than done, however, as Samantha is not as confident as her sister, and in her attempt to get away with the device, is cornered by the bodyguard Nina, who begins battering the brainy twin. But in a brief moment of evading the brute, Samantha sacrifices her personal retrieval unit to send Heyman's visor back to Cindy Prime at TEC headquarters. Realizing Samantha is trapped in the past, Cindy finds Rodney hiding out in an office and convinces him to work the controls so she can travel back to save her sister. She entrusts the future viewing visor to her co-worker and arriving back at Heyman's hideout, she fights Nina, the bodyguard, who is kicked out a window and split in two on a sharp sculpture below. But not before Samantha removes the evil gal's linking gauntlet and applies it to her own arm. Meanwhile, Weston, who has now recovered from only being grazed by a bullet that originally killed him the first time around, tries to prevent Heyman from escaping, but is still murdered by the diabolical creep, who takes the agent's retrieval unit and flees. But Samantha uses her engineering skills and knowledge of the technology to hotwire Nina's linking gauntlet to follow Heyman's time signature, and they wind up back at the TEC headquarters. Huh? During a final showdown in the Time Pod hangar, we discover that Rodney was working with Heyman the whole time and has returned the future visor to the villain. After duking it out in the hangar and ending up on top of the Time Pod, which is activated by a timer Rodney has set, in the scuffle, the twins manage to secure the bad guys to the pod with two pairs of kinky handcuffs. And placing the future viewing visor on his head, Cindy asks, What does your future look like now, a hole? <laughs> anyway, as the viewpoint. <laughs> As the viewpoint changes to Heyman's, we see the inevitable smash into the concrete wall, and he begins to panic. Moving too fast to jump off the pod, the Volmers force their way into the cockpit as the Time Pod rockets toward the wall, with the pod passing through the time barrier, leaving the villains behind to be obliterated, with only two bloody stains marking their last stand. We see Matusak and the rest of the TEC return from the bomb threat evacuation, realizing the Volmers are nowhere to be found, and seeing two red marks on the end of the track, and eventually checking the security camera footage which has been damaged in the fight. They see the choppy images of the Vulvers but not Heyman or Rodney, so they draw their own conclusions that they disobeyed orders and paid the price. In the epilogue, we find out that Cindy and Samantha hastily entered the time travel date to be their own birthday and ended up at the hospital where they were born. However, they are shocked to see that they were actually born triplets and that the Vulver parents <laughs> arranged for their sister to be adopted by a childless couple named the Fieldings, who named her <laughs> Sarah. There you have it. <laughs> time cut three, double time. Oh, Adam. Oh, boy. <laughs> I don't like dangling plot threads. Don't you tease me. Jeremy, do you have something for us? I do. All right, here we go. The year is 2025. The Time Enforcement Commission headquarters. Max Walker has led the TEC for 20 years after progressing through management and command levels as the top cop in the five years following the timeline correction of 2004, when he stopped Senator McCombs' time-changing plot and has been running the department ever since. He's had to readjust to life at home with his family, having changed the past to save his wife and growing son, we're going to retcon that. If that didn't happen, I couldn't remember. <laughs> Those 20 years have been progressively the quietest on record for the TEC. Minor attempts easily foiled over the years. That is until 2025. Time ripples have been happening globally, masking the full effects of this new nefarious time threat. Max is at his wit's end trying to figure out when, where, and how it's all connected. He's brought on a team of lead agents to this specific case, but each time the agents get close to something in the past, something else changes. Calling the shots from HQ in the future isn't getting things done. End of Act 1, we find out that two of the three agents on this new team are acting on behalf of the villain as counter-agents, killing the third member of the team in the past, bringing them back as the only witnesses to the crime. Something about this doesn't feel right to Max, who brings on a rookie cop. A pair of fresh eyes and a sharp mind. The second act, Max and the newbie sniff out the counter-agents on the next mission, only getting a hint as to the long-con plan before they chew cyanide pills. But just enough to begin making the connections. This mastermind was a former TEC agent who left seeds in the past, minuscule ripples in time that would go unnoticed by TEC and bear fruit down the road. Sleeper agents for future use post-retirement. Under a new alias and identity, her rise to power and prominence wasn't on TEC radar due to its gradual and varied incomes globally. The newbie in the final act is revealed to be a last resort sleeper agent of our mastermind, 
And now Max, 20 years older, not only has to physically stop the newbie, but also the mastermind in both the present and the past, having slipped his past self details on when and where to attack. Well, uh, Jeff, let's start off with you. Where does your vote fall? Wow, this is actually a, a tougher one than not that they're not normally all spectacular, but you know they're not. Uh, <laughs> but this time, like like you said, Adam, we had some female leads, and we had. Um, I feel like, to be perfectly honest, I'm not as sold on the Netflix series, but I really like what you had, Pax. I like the dynamic of hiding in the past as opposed to like that there's, you know, they're kind of chasing them as opposed to trying to fix things in the past. I mean, I'm sure it's a little bit of each, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, so I think I would go, I'd go with Pax's one. All right, Adam, where does your vote fall? Well, you know, I, uh, I think it kind of goes back for me, like, what is the essence of Time Cop? And I, I really feel like it's a personal story. I mean, you want to say, is it deep? It's not deep. Wait, wait, wait. Can we just say that exact same phrase again? What is the essence of Time Cop? It's, a it's not deep. Philosophers for years will be discussing this. Uh, continue. My apologies. But I just, I feel like Time Cop is a very small story when you really look at it. It's not this expansive thing where you're trying to fix timelines. Like, they hint that that is their job, but that's not what we see. And the reason we put it up there, the upper echelon of Jean-Claude's, as Jeff put it, is that, you know, it, it has just, you know what it's about and you don't get totally caught up in the muckety-muck at all. And so, for me, I feel like Pax is really is that because what is he doing? He's going back to a former partner. They're trying to help her get her memory back. They're trying to uncover the mysteries she's gonna have to deal with the situation of her husband and son having no purpose in the timeline or uh, violating some code so i feel like there's a lot of personal tension there that i really respond to that feels like it fits with yes the essence of time cop <laughs> so i'll vote for pax maybe that should be my title uh, yeah time the cop essence, essence. <laughs> or the personal story <laughs> time cop it's not too deep it's not... <laughs> <laughs> i love it all right pax where does your vote fall like jeff said th and this is a tough one because there are aspects of every single one of these uh, that i liked quite a bit um i feel like uh, jeremy's was very similar to mine we both kind of navigated the same streams a little bit and i really liked where you went for adams i mean as always you you dig deep into the mythology and find some little hidden nugget that you can just expand into this incredible story. I never once thought about like, uh, where, where did the Bulbers come from? What I mean, I, like I did, like maybe maybe once I thought I was like, well, that would be an interesting story. Well, you gave it to me, Adam. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it is odd that the book and the movie make such a big deal that Sarah Fielding looks like the Bulbers. It's like such a big deal, and they never follow up on it. So. Kudos to you for exploring that. And then uh, with Jeff's, uh, like, I really like the timeless aspect of it where you, you're you actually going in something, it's alternative history, which I'm a, I'm a huge fan of as well. And it's, I mean, something gets broken and you got to go back and fix it. I like that as well. And there's aspects of all these that I really like. And it's really hard for me to pick one. Um, but I, I think I am landing on, I think I'm landing on Jeff's on this one. All right. Pax, when you were first starting your description there, I got severe vibes of Terminator. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I didn't think about that, but you're right. I, I can totally see that. Uh, and that wasn't until you got to the point to where she was a former agent planted in the past. But as enjoyable as the other pitches were, we already have two votes for PAC, so I'm going to go a third one here. So there's no ties. We'll just flesh this one out. <laughs> Very nice. Congrats. Uh, thank you. Always bring your A game. But yeah, because it seemed like we kind of left off, okay, what are the mysteries that they have to uncover, right? Right, right. It's them trying to figure out what the conspiracy was, which I did not flesh out because I couldn't come up with anything satisfactory enough. But, uh, I mean, it's something big enough. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Uh, so do you guys feel like it's a conspiracy that it, it was just taking place in one time? Like, Pax, is that how you had it set up? Like, because it, it was just of that era and then they sent her in the past. Is that basically how that worked? Like, they're just trying to keep her away so she can't remember and all of that. So it's not like a, a conspiracy that's like spanning multiple decades and they're right. going back and forth? Or do you think it should be? Should the it involve that? The basic idea I had was it was a conspiracy that was going on in 2019 that she found out about the TEC. Like, And it could have been something where 
and maybe we do something similar to Ron Silver's character or it's or I even thought it was something in the TEC itself. And she found it out. And the idea was that uh, Max is the only one that knew about it. So he's the one taking her back to kind of get her away from danger. And uh, something happens and it causes the amnesia that makes her not realize what's going on. And then you get in the time hit squads, which they mention a lot in the novelizations that I really was trying to incorporate into my story. So my idea was that it was just something that was going on in 2019, but because they control everything of time travel, they can track you and follow you around. So that that's why they're able to get back and find where they are so easily. My first thought is that something's rotten in the TEC. It's not like every Mission Impossible movie. Like, oh, we (laughs) got a traitor here, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's true. That's a good point. But I'm trying to get, like, to the core of Max is there to help her. But I I do like the idea that something has gone wrong at the TEC. He has lost his faith in it as an organization and almost like McComb was always trying to get it shut down you know he's just telling her oh you know it's not worth it they're messing around just one wrong move and they're messing up all of time mm-hmm. you know so maybe he has fallen into that belief system himself so he's there for her like he wants to save his former partner that's personal he's not on a mission in any way from the TEC right so right he is rogue yeah so to me it feels like you know that could play really well as whether or not he needs to get his faith back in the organization or maybe he needs to accept that he was doing good work for as long as it existed or do we come down to the final thing is the conspiracy is in fact yes it was meant simply so one person could have control and manipulate everything for their gain and nobody had seen it until that moment and she saw it yeah what do you guys think? Who do you want to be like the head of this villainous conspiracy? Who's who's at the heart of it? Well, I mean, obviously a compelling one would be someone that we don't expect. So an easy one would be like if we get Jean-Claude Van Damme to be in it. That's that's maybe too easy. Another one to be like as much as I love what's his name that played Magruder or whatever the boss's name was. <laughs> he's a he's a perfect one to be in charge because that was my one thought with this original movie and i feel like that was one of the things that was really interesting with timeless is that a lot of time travel movies don't really get into like history because they they feel like it's going to feel cheesy or educational or even like i know like doctor who is kind of circled around that at various times but it'd be interesting like what if it was like a historical character was the bad guy not like adolf hitler or you know something like that but someone that you wouldn't expect from history the disembodied head of albert einstein no 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 but like somebody who was actually a bad guy but we don't really think of him that way like um like thomas edison Ooh, make that how funny that was the first person that came to my head when you said that (laughs) was thomas edison done (laughs) history's true villain it's true well so, so then they have to team up with nikolai tesla who hated Edison. Like, that well, Tesla obviously dynamic. invented time travel and it was just shelved and given to the Dr. Hans Newberg or whatever his name was that they yeah. mentioned at the beginning of the movie. So he's all bitter about it. Maybe he's teaming up with them at some point, like a guardian angel. Time Tesla. <laughs> Nickel time Tesla. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I mean, so but Jeff, the question I have that is though, so are you saying... Does the person from history, do they have time travel transportation or did they just set something in motion that has continued forward and the TEC somehow got wound up in it? Um, I wonder. Well, I mean, if you do the Edison Tesla thing, I don't know, that might take a little focus off. Then it turns into what's the one that is actually that there is actually that story about or no, it's Jack the Ripper, isn't it? Where it's time after time, time after time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't that Thomas Edison's a time traveling? No, H.G. Wells. H.G. Wells. Oh, is it H.G. Wells? The Ripper, yeah. Yeah, and he has to chase Jack Ripper throughout the time. So, yeah, I don't know if that, because we want, we still want the time cops to be the focus of it. So, but it also could be, like, if we do go down this path, like you were saying, Pax, about doing a, a series, is then if you've got the different big bads of each season. Maybe even where you find out Thomas Edison is the big bad, but he's not the big bad. And we find out that it was actually someone was behind all of, you know, Thomas Edison's chicanery or something like that. 
Maybe Thomas Edison came up with the plan all those years ago, but he didn't have the technology. Like, that's really why he was developing everything he was developing so often. But then he died and he couldn't continue the work. But maybe, like, you know, somebody from the future stumbles on his plan and says, well, if I had gone back and given him this specific technology at this time. Uh, Okay, Uh, we're we're actually treading very close to timeless. Ah, Mm -hmm. With yeah. that. no more history, somebody, somebody <laughs> in the past coming up with a plan, exactly. alternate history, how they could change things and the future finding it and orchestrating it. Right. Which and I mean, then that's then you're kind of turning it. I'm turning it into my own because packs with yours. It was more. Yeah, there's this conspiracy in the present that that's why they have to hide in the past. So, right. yeah, I don't. Yeah. Then that you're right. That kind of gets tough for the big bad to be a historical figure and i know you had mentioned you didn't know about the netflix series i only mentioned the netflix series i was thinking in my head it'd be something like eight episodes because i didn't Mm -hmm. feel like a movie would get everything i wanted it to get in two three hours i wanted like a few extra hours series right because i think that would be i mean because that's the one part that would even if you're not going to go into again the timeless route with the history and the blah 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 is just the fact that like in time cop they didn't i mean i don't think they had the budget to really like go all out with different historical times and get all of the the vintage outfits. But I think that's kind of what you want from a time travel movie, especially a time travel show. So getting, you know, eight episodes where they can go to eight different time periods, hopefully one, well, unless somehow they can't travel to the future, but that's always fun. <laughs> like I say, I mean, I think ultimately if we figure out one good plot line that, like, that Pax did throw out there for us, which is, so what did this husband and the son have to do with any of this or how far do they have to go to protect them type thing you know i mean because how far back was she pax she went back to uh 1994 you know so it is around the same time as the first movie um I, I i had the idea that maybe we would go back into some of the scenes of the first movie but then i thought no it's just gonna be a coincidence that she went back to 1994 because mm. i mean i i wonder if it might seem rote but ultimately you know because she's in 94 but she's you know living this life she's making things happen the husband's probably a good guy but couldn't the son be the one that grows up to carry out the conspiracy at some point well it was a daughter but yeah that's not a bad idea maybe the conspiracy in the in the present is either the creator of time travel or one of the people that worked for him that maybe they felt snubbed because even though they did the lion's share of the work whoever the guy was that invented time travel got all the notoriety for it so now he's out to kind of set the record straight and kind of get control of the tec so he can control time travel for himself yeah, so I mean, it maybe again, it doesn't have to be, we don't focus on, okay, well, what are the big changes in history or anything that right. happens? It's literally just about, okay, how do you track down this person and eliminate them so they don't, you know, whatever their plan might be is much less important. You know, just like McComb is like, well, I want to get a lot of money. It's like, right. well, okay, but you, you also killed his wife. So that's why we want to see you die, you know, type <laughs> thing. Yeah. So and that was, that was the idea of this was that it's smaller and that it's more compact and it's really about Max and this partner of his that, uh, and them trying to figure out the mystery. We definitely need you and McGregor as the villain. Oh, that's not bad, actually. I know, I like that. He's supposed to be a villain coming up in the new fantabulous emancipation of one Harley Quinn, whatever that long title <laughs> yeah. is. Um, he is supposed to play Black Mask in that and be villainous. I like that, whether or not he's a family member or he's just a mastermind, like you say, who was involved in, in the creation of it all. The other thing that kind of sparked in my mind, Max's child, could we have, due to the changed timeline, him having an alternate child as well, and she grows up without him and hating him, just to give a personalized vendetta in this whole thing i'm just i'm just trying to think because it seems like the timelines in, in this universe it wouldn't change the sex of the child that's born even if it was a different timeline like i don't know what it seems like right. would that be affected by by time you know <laughs> like I, I don't i don't understand no what i was thinking was because the original timeline his wife did die along with the child that in that space maybe dalliances amongst other people he had an illegitimate child and due to the timelines converging when he saved his wife 
or self-correcting whatever, that other child is now lost. I, I don't know. It was weird, kind of interesting twist to make it so that it still links back to our main guy in some familial way. Well, I, I see what you're saying there, though, because, yeah, that does that does make more sense in that scenario, then, because he had that 10 years yeah. for something to happen. And like you say, things merged, but everybody go back to the way they're supposed to to say, you know, so that there's somebody left there that's causing problems. Maybe that's a season two possibility. Maybe, yeah, because I like that idea. So this is the final question, I think, is who are we casting as this partner? She's basically the focus of the show. So who is an actress that we want to see take on that kind of role? And maybe that could, I mean, doesn't have to be the same age as, as JCVD, you know, she could certainly have been a, a rookie when he was right. you know, partners in, with her. In my head, she was a little younger. And uh, like in my head, it was someone like, or even Jessica Chastain. Yeah. You can do that. I think that'd be good. I was thinking Kristen Ritter for some reason, but it's all good. Uh, I like Jessica Chastain. <laughs> she's got the, the gravitas when she's not albino, like in Dark Phoenix. <laughs> that did not work out. Well, that's good then. So, yeah, I think last bit of business, knowing kind of where it's going then, do we have our subtitle? Do we want to give it? <laughs> because I don't know the essence really fits now. So is there something you feel like encapsulates the story itself? Yeah, that was a tough one I was having trouble coming up with. I was trying to think if there was any kind of like amnesia term that sounded like a time travel term. Uh, I, I toyed with the idea of double back, mainly for the Back to the Future reference. That's what I was just going to say. I was like, <laughs> yeah. wasn't that for Back to the Future Part 3? <laughs> yep. <laughs> that, was, that was mainly, that was the only one I came up with that I was like, all right, I'd be fine with that. Um, but I, I was trying to think it. if we could like create a designation for someone that is lost in the time stream, because that has to happen, mm. you know, for yeah. the TEC. So, like, she would be designated as, you know, mm. uh, you know, lost to time or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know? like M. No, MIT doesn't sound right. <laughs> missing, instead of missing in action, missing in time. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Well, actually, that's not bad. Just call it yeah. Time really? Cop 2, Missing in Time. Lost Time Cop time. 3, See, wherever it, we think this then fits. Then it starts to sound like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. <laughs> <laughs> Turtles in Time. Yeah. yeah. Well, anything with time. We've gotten a lot of those. Um, wouldn't this kind of be a form of Time Cop witness protection? Yes. yes. In a way? Yeah, and I was trying to come up with like so, like Witsec or something, but I couldn't come up with anything that a didn't sound pornographic, or, right? <laughs> or just weird. <laughs> so I mean, I think just calling it lost, either lost to time or lost in time, time cop two. Yeah, because then it's lit, man. Lost in time. Yeah. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> well, Pax, thanks for uh, giving us this adventure. Uh, like was stated, a lot of quality pitches here, a lot of ways we could have taken it, but I think yours had a lot of potential. And in some alternate timeline, perhaps we'd be turning on Netflix in 2020 <laughs> and watching it. That would be great. But uh, why don't you tell the folks, Pax, what's going on in your world these days? What entertainment you can send their way where they can find it? Uh, you can find me semi-weekly on the Nerd Lunch podcast and monthly. I'm doing I Read Movies, which you mentioned, where I'm talking about uh, movie novelizations and the differences with the movies they novelize. So um, that's that's where you can find me. You can find me on Twitter also um, under my name, Paxton Holly, H-O-L-L-E-Y. And I should mention, Pax coming up next on I Read Movies. You have a suggestion that I made that I've been anticipating for months and months. The September episode of I Read Movies is going to be your suggestion you wanted me to do, Return of Swamp Thing. And uh, that was a movie I'd never seen, so I, I'm glad to finally cover that and do the novelization. But I'm also going to do the first one, Swamp Thing, the Wes Craven uh, movie as well. And that'll be during September. I'm going to call it Swamp Timber. <laughs> and if you just can't get enough sequel quest, don't forget. We are giving you two of our Sequel Quest Rewind episodes each month, so you have something to look forward to there, as well as our Sequel Chat movie reviews, so we have a lot of fun stuff coming up for you there. And we should mention that our next new episode of Sequel Quest Prime here will be John Carter. 
Yes, we're going to go and check out that failed Disney adventure film. We are headed to Mars, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and if you like what Jeff and I have to say, you can go listen to some of our adventures going back in time to our days at in the Disneyland character department, where we were in costume, the Two Goofs podcast. Still going strong for the remainder of this year, so be sure to find that on your favorite podcast app. And of course... Please check out all the shows on the Retro Network, and hey, you may get a few new details about what's going on in the next sequel quest. So, with that, until next time, this is for what you're going to do. Uh, oh, that's what crashed. Hold on. Hopefully not the time pod into a wall. Correct. <laughs> correct. No, just, uh, there we go. Okay. We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to sequelquestpod at gmail.com or sqpod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.